0: Hi there, this is Kent Roundy at USH Med Student, and I am very excited about today's podcast. I have uh, two new students with me, uh, somewhat new. You, one of you has been with me before, I believe, and that was Logan. I have a returning student, Danny, and a new student, Easton. Easton and Logan, how about if the two of you introduce yourselves? I don't care who goes first, and I'll probably ask you a couple of questions, and you've heard these questions before.
1: Uh, I'm Logan Loomis, I'm a third year medical student at Rocky Vista University. And? And uh, oh. I, I've been here for three weeks in the, the psychiatry rotation. Uh, I'm interested in family medicine and yeah, enjoy my time here.
0: Very, very cool. What kind of family medicine are you looking at?
1: Uh, just primary care, I don't know that I have a specific window in that yet.
0: Quite a few students that come from Rocky Vista have a passion for like wilderness family medicine, which I think means something along the lines of you end up in a relatively small town, do everything you possibly can, and then are part of the search and rescue team when people get lost on the big mountains in Colorado.
1: Uh, I could see myself doing that. I don't know that I'm specifically looking for that right now, but it's definitely an option. Very cool.
0: And Easton, tell me a little bit about yourself.
2: I'm a third-year medical student at Rocky Vista University. Uh, I'm currently interested in everything, or I'm not quite sure, to be honest with you. Specialty-wise, uh, primary care, and especially uh, things that can give me a relationships. So I'm a relationship-driven person, and I want to have a little bit longer-lasting uh,
0: relationships with my patients to help them. So continuity of care over time, or simply having people that you kind of go, hey, I, I know you. Both. Both. You know, I'm, I'm okay with either one of those, really. Oh, very cool. Well, there's a lot of great fields in medicine that will uh, be amenable to that. Danny, you're back with us uh, for a fourth year. I think last year when you were here, you helped us with a couple of podcasts. This time you uh, helped develop one on an introduction to... What was it again? Dissociative disorder. Dissociative, Dissociative disorder. I wanted to yes. say dystonia, and I was like, that's not the right D word. <laughs> um, did a great job with that. And uh, you told us then that you're still going into family medicine, correct? Correct. And this rotation was to help beef up the kinds of experiences you might want to have behind you as you move in that direction. Absolutely. All right. so uh, Easton or Logan, how about if the two of you tell me how you came to the topic? Why don't you introduce the topic and tell me how you came to this topic? So our topic today is uh, Recreational Therapy.
2: We, Logan and I, are on the kids unit and we uh, get to do a lot of different activities with kids, especially when it pertains to rec therapy. And for me, I hadn't even heard of it really before I started this rotation. And so it's been very intriguing to to see its function in psychiatry, especially with these kids, and really get to see them blossom. In one of the introductory podcasts that you did, Dr. Roundy, you said that you want every student to at least get some experience with RT and that you get to see some of these patients at their, their best, at their uh, most healthy. And that's something that I've been able to really notice, especially when we've compared them from our interviews to when we've gone on these recreational activities. It, it's been really a big difference. And Logan and I discussed that, and we were really interested in recreational therapy. The,
1: uh, the mental health model has been shifting uh, in the medical field and in uh, the world, the culture, just the way that we're looking at mental health and obviously uh, we learn about medications that help people but I don't think we learn a lot about um, different therapeutic models that are used so I just thought it would be important um, if you're a psychiatrist obviously you'll be around mental health but in other fields you will be as well And I think it's been really interesting to see recreational therapy and other versions of therapy. And there wasn't a podcast on this. So I think it's instructional and informational to see what is out there to help mental health. I I sometimes see
0: um, all of the ancillary services. That's not even the right word. Some of the uh, collaborative services is really a much better word. All right, so whether that's uh, our dietitian, whether that is our psychology team, whether that is our social work team, whether that's our recreational therapy team, I see them much like um, in primary care when you might have somebody that has diabetes. It, 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 my experience was, and you, you two are three, are going into family medicine, you've worked with family practice physicians, you've seen patients who have diabetes and you've seen new onset diabetes by this point, right? Yes. Okay. Cool. Absolutely. You guys are in your third rotation, I think, or fourth rotation. And one of the first things that physicians did that I worked with was made a referral to a dietitian. Does that sound right to you guys? And that role of the dietitian was what?
2: Uh, for our patients, it was really to examine how they're eating and that lifestyle and that choice and and how they can make those different small adjustments and to improve their health in that way.
0: Does that sound about right to the rest of you? Yeah. I really like the way that's described. And I think when you think about treatment of schizophrenia or other uh, mental illnesses, it's the same way. Each of us has an interesting slice of the pie that we're trying to tackle, and we all come together to try and collaborate on somewhat overlapping domains of care. And I think the idea of domains of care kind of opens up the discussion about what is a recreational therapist. Did either of the two of you have a tough time figuring out what a recreational therapist was by any chance? You're smiling.
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, it's interesting because obviously uh, here at the state hospital, it's a position. And in the country, at least I I don't really know um, about the positions outside the U.S., but it's it's a pretty standard position, but looking at what they do here, it's just so wide, um, and complex in some ways. Um, if you were just looking at what a recreational therapist did, um, just observing, not reading up on it, um, it'd be pretty difficult just because they do so many different things.
0: You might see that they do leisure activities, and not recognize that they are doing therapy in a, in a leisure activity. You guys are nodding. Yes, that's great. Yeah. Great podcasting, by the way. <laughs> um, so, so I I had this really wonderful um, recreational therapist. I, I should say that differently. I've had so many wonderful recreational therapists that have come through here. We've had recreational therapists that have been involved in uh, building and formulating state code around what it means to have a scope of practice and practice as a licensed health care professional. Um, we've had uh, Dr. Emily Adams, for example, who I was who was kind enough to try and help me understand this a little bit this morning. She's now at Clemson. Uh, she was here on the unit for a while as a recreational therapist on her pathway to her doctorate. And all of these different recreational therapists have been incredibly important in the care of our patients. And yet I still, don't have a very good sense of the scope of practice for recreational therapists. Talk to me about um, the differences in recreational therapists across the United States, if either of you have a sense of that. And then maybe what we'll do is we'll start talking about how recreational therapy originally defined itself. How does that sound?
2: I know that it's been a, a been a process. I actually watched a video earlier today with uh, about Dr. Caroline Peterson, uh, she helped to create the leisure ability model uh, of recreational therapy, especially when they were seeking professionalization uh, Mm -hmm. of their profession. And as you described, Dr. Roundy, it it is centered a lot on leisure, um, but that leisure can be therapeutic. And I'm not quite sure. Must be therapeutic. Must be therapeutic. Yeah, that's a great point. Really, any type of uh, recreation um, can be therapeutic if it is uh, goal-oriented, that's what I think that the recreational therapists do very well, especially the one that we've been able to observe, is when we go on these different uh, experiential activities, they're not just to have an activity, it it is therapeutically driven uh, through these leisure activities.
0: Uh, Logan, I think you also mentioned, so this, you, you mentioned the the doctor that was the first person that started to work the field into a professional field. Um, Logan, you and I talked earlier, I believe it was you that mentioned that the licensure varies throughout the states, that in some states.
1: Yeah, some states, uh, they might require a licensure. Um, other areas, you might be able to pick up a position with a certificate. And I think there's some recreational therapists that don't have a certificate or a licensure.
0: So, so they wouldn't be a recreational therapist in the state of Utah because we do require that licensure, but I think what you're saying is that in some states to be a recreational therapist doesn't have the same meaning that it would in a state that requires licensure. Correct. I, I think. Correct. Yeah, I, I know that, uh, Alyssa, one of our other amazing recreational therapists worked as, uh, on the national level to try and ensure that uh, licensure was consistent across the states and uh, of interesting note her husband is a phenomenal musician who made the bumper music for the podcast that you might have heard.
1: Oh, awesome.
0: Yeah, he's a he's a great guy. So this, I want to go back to the Leisure Model and you mentioned somebody that I hadn't read about. Tell me her name again.
2: Uh, Dr. Carol Ann Peterson, uh, earlier today I actually saw an, an interview with her in discussing why this model was created, the Leisure Ability Model. And like I said earlier, it was to help uh, professionalize the profession of recreational therapy is what she stated. And this uh, Leisure Ability Model, in in her words, uh, it is based on the concepts of internal locus of control, intrinsic motivation, personal causality, freedom of choice, and flow. Uh, it uses these ideas as the basis for three uh, service component components, treatment, leisure education, and recreation uh, participation. So with that, that leisure ability model that uh, she uh, created is really about helping uh, patients or those that are uh, using this element of therapy to acquire the different skills and knowledge and education to be able to participate in leisure activities and recreation. And it's a interesting graph that she even created as uh, patients or individuals become more educated and more self-driven and focused with leisure activities, the role of the recreational therapist actually decreases to more of like a facilitator and less of a, a hands-on with everything that they're doing, if that makes sense.
0: In other words, this is a therapy. Correct. This is a treatment therapy. I think uh, Dr. Adams said something along the lines of, and I hope I'm not misquoting now, this is a medical therapy. Correct. Okay. I like that a lot. Um, Is leisure important? Is knowing how to have leisure important?
2: In my opinion, I would definitely say so, Uh, knowing that it can be an element of life and that it improves the quality of one's life is important. And especially those that have all these other uh, symptoms or things that are distracting from their quality of life, to know that it is still there, that they can still have a good quality of life, leisure will and can help with that.
0: You have in the notes. So a lot of my students create some notes that uh, are part of the way we go about this process. Um, you have listed uh, a guy named Piaget and Rogers and self-actualization. Some terms that are pretty popular buzzwords. In right. Self-actualization, right? That idea of becoming what you want to be. Now, I wanted. I want to people to kind of hang on to this idea. This, how, how long ago was this, um, who was the doctor again you uh, Dr. Uh, Caroline Peterson. I'm going to write that down. Dr. Peterson. How long ago did Dr. Peterson start to develop this model? Do you know?
2: Uh, so she started develop, to
0: develop it in the 70's. So it's been quite a while, about 50 years. Alright, now I'm going to come back to this because in a little while we're going to talk about the recovery model and uh, how that is sweeping the nation and how it seems like this recreation model might kind of be, or the recreational therapy model, this uh, leisure ability model, I should say, might be kind of like the walking definition of the recovery model. Now, there's gonna be more details, but we're we're gonna come back to that, I think. Um, Aristotle, which of you came up with the Aristotle quote?
2: Uh, I did. So Aristotle uh, wrote this back in the day. Uh, persons restored their minds and bodies through recreation, and that leisure is a way to happiness and quality of life because it provides a means to self-fulfillment
0: through intellectual, physical, and spiritual growth. Pretty cool when you have Aristotle on your side, isn't it? <laughs> I agree. I don't know that I have Aristotle on my side. I might have to look for quotes about psychiatry from Aristotle or Pluto. though. <laughs> well, Pluto. That's two podcasts in a row that I've called uh, Plato, Pluto. Uh, <laughs> i got to work on that. <laughs> uh, self-efficacy model is another model in recreational therapy. Who, who's got that?
1: So looking at the, the self-efficacy model, um, this is about confidence and optimism in what you are competent in. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, Brandura developed four different Um, Sources that you can have self-efficacy or build that self-efficacy the first one is mastery experiences so that's you going out and having these experiences and Developing skills to be able to complete them. So now you feel like you've accomplished something and you have a strength Um, and then there's vicarious experiences and that is when you either witness your role model completing tasks or getting through obstacles, or you see your peers um, completing, completing these things. And the idea is that you um, have a connection with this other person. So when they win, you feel like you win and that you can also do and attempt these things. And then there's the verbal persuasion source. And this is when you have an authority figure, a teacher, a leader, a therapist that is guiding you and encouraging you telling you what you can do and uh, giving you the motivation to complete the task and kind of build that um, confidence verbally and then there's the emotional and physiological state and this is just talking about how depending on what your mental state is your emotions how you're thinking how you're feeling uh, that's going to change your confidence so if you have a high mood you're going to have a high confidence and if you have a low mood you're going to probably have a low confidence. And uh, the idea is that when you have this confidence, uh, it's going to be more important than talent. Because if you believe that you can do something, uh, you're going to give your best effort. If you don't believe that you can do things, then you're probably not going to succeed.
0: Give up before it's done. So Dr. Adams, I asked her about the efficacy model, and she said, oh, well, there's this great program that's done where they take kids sailing to help them develop mastery in STEM areas of of schooling, right? They call it STEM or STEMI?
1: STEM. 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 (laughs) Um,
0: And I was like, "Mm, what? Right? And she was kind enough to walk me through this. She said, well, they, they take kids on sailing expeditions, sailing activities, leisure activities, and the self-efficacy is built because when they go back to the classroom and a kid says, I don't understand physics, they say, well, you went sailing and you worked with wind and you knew how to do it then. Right now, I'm clearly not doing this well as well as Dr. Adams. I wish I could uh, have uh, thought about asking her to join us. And then she said, well, what about geometry, like the sails or something? I mean, it would I don't even remember if that's what she said. I was so flabbergasted by this idea that taking kids sailing would start to develop the mastery and the willingness of students to buy into the idea that they can master STEM subjects, right? That was so cool to me. And I asked her about the the overlap between this and cognitive remediation. and and I think what she said was, um, cognitive remediation is the domain of other areas, but self mastery and self efficacy, which seems to have some similar principles, is something that our recreational therapists work on. And I was so impressed with that—the um, idea that you can get better at something, develop mastery at something, and then have more confidence to try and tackle that again in the future—just absolutely fascinating to me. Next, what are we? What are we at next? How does uh, you? You have some information here that reminds me a lot of. What Easton talked about with greater efficacy, less intervention on the part of the therapist. But I might be misreading this. Talk to me.
1: No, I think uh, I think they kind of go together. It is under the same umbrella of recreational therapy. Uh, so you 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 have confidence in this experience, but you're probably going to have a higher overall confidence in yourself as well. So now the recreational therapist takes you out and they don't have to encourage you as much to try new things because you've already taken something new and conquered it.
0: I think that's pretty cool. Our, our recreational therapists do the, the most amazing things. I might be repeating myself when I say that, and you'll probably hear that again. Uh, case study. Um, when we first talked about this, I said, get rid of the case study. I don't like it. Find, find big data, right? But this case study seems to have some meaning for us. Introduce the case study. Yeah, so this was
2: done in Japan, and uh, there is not, or at least at the time when this case study was uh, designed and presented, there was not a lot of uh, study or even practice of recreational therapy there. In Japan, right? In Japan, correct, yeah. It it had been throughout the states and and other places, but in Japan it was, okay, let's do something new and uh, this was really about taking a patient that has schizophrenia this patient uh, especially had been there for over 10 years had no desire for any types of social interactions and it created a model there were 12 different interventional periods and it was really Uh, We'll call him Mr. Z because that's what the the case study calls him as. And there were uh, five other uh, patients there that also were contributing to this study. And what the instructors did or the study designers did is they would have the nurses uh, lead these different groups. And with these 12 different interventions, most of them revolved around games and what was really neat to see, and it described uh, the different interactions that uh, Mr. Z had uh, with these other patients. Early on, he would say one thing, or another patient would say another, and then he would get very closed off, look, look down. at his feet, yeah. Yeah, he would not open and engage, but they saw as time went on, and we continued to go throughout these different intervention periods, which I, like I said, most of them were just simple games even children's games, he started to be a lot more open. He even would ask another patient or uh, even one of the workers there questions about themselves. And then he would say, well, I like that too. So there became this greater interpersonal communication, and he increased in those skills to where he even had a desire to interact with others, which in the beginning of the study, zero. He wanted to be very closed off.
0: Now, the, the thing that stood out to me on this was uh, the article said essentially we had experiences. We provided experiential activities so that our patients who didn't have recreation in their lives could have something like that, right? And then they changed it to a therapeutically recreational activity, and I think they based that on a guy named Bloomer that I had never heard of before, B-L-U-M-E-R. And the, the premise was that... Um, objects, things don't really have meaning until they have a social tie. So it wasn't just that they had these activities, but what they would do, I think the, the example I read was they would play basketball and uh, they would somehow tie those meanings to a social connection. So you played basketball, Mr. J played basketball. Mr. J likes basketball, it seems like you do too. Right? So, right. so what they did is they tried to tie um, the recreational activity to some sort of social activity or social meaning that gave the event meaning. Right. So the event would be meaningless until there's a social tie to that or right? uh, uh, some sort of interpersonal relationship aspect to the item or the event. Did I read that correctly? Is that kind of the way you saw that?
2: Yeah, correct. Uh, There was also another instance that they detailed in the study uh, about a watch. One of the other patients said, oh, I wanna buy that watch. And uh, Mr. Z was like, well, that's that's expensive. And so he even had that insight of, oh, well that's an expensive watch, but I like watches too, I have a watch. And it became this, like you said, this interpersonal connection and those experiences were very much uh, so, in tied with that, that, that was an, a crucial part to the study in helping him to open up and to want to experience these different activities.
0: In other words, I think there's a clear distinction between a leisure activity and therapeutic recreation, right? And I think this was a great case example of that difference, having some sort of theoretical model or basis for the kinds of things that you're doing. Sound about right? Correct, yeah. I'd agree with that. Yeah, that's good to know. I'm on the right page. I, I'm still... I think I mentioned that Dr. Adams was very patient with me as I tried to wrap my head around it. And at the end of the phone call, I think she was hopeful that I had enough to not really screw this up. (laughs) Um, Danny, I talked to uh, Dr. Adams about the overlap that I thought I understood between recreational therapy and other fields. You have gone uh, to look at some very specific differences between rec therapy and a couple of other specialties. Do you want to go ahead and share those? Absolutely. So This kind of piggybacks off what we were just
3: talking about. J- just to wrap this up, the, there's a council, the National Council for Therapeutic or Recreation Certification, they define recreational therapy as recreation and activities aimed at the recovery and well-being for individuals with psychological and physical help. I think that word aimed in their descriptor there is kind of the meat of what we were just talking about a minute ago, that it's those activities with an aim and a purpose. And then a couple other types of therapy that people maybe are more commonly familiar with would be physical therapy, probably most commonly, and occupational therapy. And they certainly have a role in the treatment of people with different psychological disorders. And they are a little difficult to keep apart. Physical therapy can be thought about as a therapy used for the treatment of different diseases, injuries, or deformities, whether it is with massage, heat strengthening, exercises. One way that I was told to think of physical therapy, it's to help people get from point A to point B. Occupational therapy also deals with those who are injured and helps treat them, but that it helps you do tasks at point A and point B. So it could be a little bit more focused on less your gross motor movements and the fine motor movements or more specifically even your activities of daily living. And occupational therapy especially likes to talk about the effects and benefits that occupational therapy can have on mental health. on their national website talk about ways that it can help with either those with autism spectrum disorders, which my brother-in-law is an occupational therapist, specifically working with those with autism spectrum disorders and the ways that that might manifest difficulties in their activities of daily living tasks. Those with depression, specific, both physical therapy and occupational therapy is, as we were talking about before, on that self-efficacy model, if someone has suffered some sort of injury that's keeping them from tasks whether it's work or otherwise helping them get back to where they once were can help in a lot of ways make them feel more complete and there's a whole other subject on whether a vocational therapy and work therapy for helping with things like depression but both of those other forms of therapy have a a physical component kind of like recreational therapy but can have some pretty significant psychological
0: benefits as well. I think in some ways you just explained why the uh, book Recreation Therapy an Introduction, 2015 fourth edition, uh, uh, chapter one, uh, Austin is the last name, right? This was one of the sources that we had to look at and I think in that first chapter he said, it's kind of hard to know what a recreational therapist is. Yeah, he does. And he says, but, but, here's how you think about it. And I think you, you spoke to this somewhat. A nurse cares for people. A physician treats illness and disease. An occupational uh, therapist, uh, pers- uh, I can't read my writing, purposeful occupations and, and increase efficacy in occupations. A psychologist deals with human behavior. A social worker deals with support systems. I think these are probably uh, generalizations to try and clarify the point because I think all of these fields do much more than that. And recreational therapist is purposeful recreation and leisure activities, right? Which is a therapeutic approach. It's not just go have fun, it's have a purposeful way of doing that. When I spoke with Dr. Adams, she was very clear that the one core feature of recreational therapists that keeps that apart from the other areas that share domains of treatment right because there are shared domains amongst all of us um, the thing that sets the recreational therapists apart is that the core feature is therapy happens in a leisure activity the second thing that she says that she feels like uh, separates recreational therapy from the other therapies, though, is that perhaps a, an occupational therapist would be really primarily focused on work-related activities or functionality. I think it's ex- extended a little bit of functionality in home and, and work settings, perhaps. But she says that the, the, the recreational therapist, I should say, has a holistic view that looks at the entire uh, individual focused on a biological, psychological, social, and spiritual approach, and spiritual isn't religion, it's kind of like the meaning of life sort of things, what's meaningful to you, if I understood her correctly. And that this approach wouldn't just be limited to the domain of uh, more self-efficacy at work, or more self-efficacy in leisure, or more self-efficacy despite some sort of physical limitation, right? It's it's all of your life needs to be somewhat better. And I think this is what ties us back into to what I mentioned before, the recovery model. And, and one of the things that I would, am very impressed by is that when you think about the recovery model, this is um, living autonomous, autonomous, blah, autonomously without symptoms at the forefront of your life. So a number of years ago, we went to the Beck Institute, and we learned about this marvelous therapy called cognitive therapy recovery-oriented or recovery-oriented cognitive therapy. We were all absolutely amazed at the idea that you could build a life based on desires and that it would crowd out, so to speak, the hallucinations that are at the forefront of many of our patients' lives. And as a psychiatrist, and that's, again, the physician treats illness, one of the uh, significant limitations that I feel like I have is that I don't build wellness. right? So that's something I focused on in terms of self-improvement and I think that's an area where our recreational therapists were years ahead of everybody else. They're busy building wellness and finding out how do you get people to live based on uh, strengths-based ideas, positive psychology ideas, and getting people back into the community. Tell me how you two saw this, what, what are your thoughts about what I'm saying?
2: Uh, for me, I guess from witnessing uh, anecdotally just with my experiences here at the State Hospital, I've been able to, to see these kids in an interview really not be able to even tell you much about how they're feeling, what they're thinking, what they want to do or any goals really in their life. They're just so sucked in on that moment we go to recreational therapy we participate in the ropes course and then talking with these kids after that well i would love to do this i i really enjoy this and i want to one day be a vet you know things like that that they can see and it opens up and like you said recreational therapists really focus on wellness i think that's really the purpose of of the profession where the rest of us sometimes focus more on that you know let's get you to the point where you can be okay or not really symptomatic. Let's see about less illness. Right. As opposed to, hey, how do you be well? Yeah. Let, let, let's make you happier, better, and like, have more confidence in yourself. And, and, and we've discussed that. That's a huge part of that self-efficacy model. And okay, if you can have self-efficacy with leisure, you can maybe have it in all areas of your life.
1: Yeah. So medicine, looking at this person has an illness, what can we do? to get rid of that illness uh, is kind of looking at the negatives and trying to treat that. Uh, Looking at the positives, I think what they did was uh, say, okay, let's look at people that are enjoying life. Let's look at people that are happy. What is it that these people are doing that are making them happy and giving them joy? And let's try to incorporate that in what we give to these patients.
0: I like that a lot, and I think one of the things that I liked a lot about the various articles that we read was that there are a number of principles that kept popping up in, uh, in recreational therapy. One is autonomy, one is self-directed, I think. One, there were a couple of others, and all of those speak to the idea of you choosing the life you want and becoming effective in that life. I really, I really liked the goals of recreational therapy.
2: Yeah, I totally agree with that. One thing that I've also seen uh, both in person and as we were searching the literature is how important empowerment is uh, as a recreational therapist to those that they're helping to treat. And even if they are telling them, okay, this is what we would like to do, this is the goals of this, would you like to participate? Even if that person says no, in that way they are being empowered and taking a little bit more control over their life. And that is so important, I think, for every individual.
0: And its autonomy, right? right. Which is a Correct. big factor in, in what we're talking about. Now, RT, um, I think a lot of the literature we looked at, I, sh- I should say, a lot of the articles we looked at, there's some uh, data that seem to be more rigorous than other sets of data, right? But there's this, um, there's the theory of benefits of leisure model, model and self efficacy. Um, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I-, I don't know that we have great data that says that the hope that we have of this model. Um, has actually panned out because of these things being accurate, right? But this is kind of background information about recreational therapy. So uh, talk to me about the theory of benefits that you guys came across.
1: Yeah, and we've discussed parts of it going over the different models because that's where they come from. But uh, to give you an idea, some examples of recreational therapy would be music, art, exercise, field trips, hiking, team exercises, leadership exercises, and it goes on from there, a very broad variety. Basically, if there's an activity that can be completed, there's a way to make it a goal and use it in recreational therapy. Uh, One thing that I wanted to add from their goal that we haven't really hit yet, where it can add to it, is the idea of how the patient sees themselves. And this goes with self-efficacy. So being in a a state hospital or an inpatient setting and you're always being treated, I think these these patients feel like they're not normal, like they are their disease. And giving them these activities to do gives them the opportunity to change their identity. If they enjoy basketball, they can now say, I like playing basketball, I'm a basketball player, instead of thinking, I'm a person that has schizophrenia. I want to
0: focus on one of the things you mentioned, just barely. Uh, There was an article called Recreation for Mental Health, or Recreational Therapy for Mental Health. Again, I can't read my blasted handwriting. It was written, or the lead author was Fenton, and it was in the magazine Leisure 2017. This was either a French publication or a Canadian uh, publication, because the abstract was also in French, at least I believe it was one of those two. And there was an interesting set of arguments made that speak to exactly what you're talking about, which is the idea that mental health social determinants may have a bigger impact on outcomes than access to care. Now I was kind of blown away by that and I didn't go find the original research on that. The case they made was that our patients, when they have freedom from uh, discrimination and violence, overcome social exclusion, and have access to resources do better than without those things, right? That these are deficits that can be addressed in part through recreational therapy, especially um, those social interactions. And I think we we talked about the case report, Mr. Z, and I think this article built on that where it described what I thought was fascinating. It's not just the participation in recreational therapy, but the meanings negotiated from the experience. And again, that gets back to the key word of therapy, not activity, right? Recreational therapy. Um, keep going. Are there other things that you have in that list that you want to mention that I haven't interrupted?
1: Um, I, think, I think everything's been touched or will be touched in later. just a minute.
0: So, so when, I, when you guys talked to me about this, mm-hmm. I said, okay, I don't like anything you're doing. Well, that wasn't exactly <laughs> true, right? Close <laughs> to it though, yeah, close. <laughs> and then I read the, the literature that you had provided and I liked it quite a bit more. Does that sound right also? Correct. Yeah. <laughs> you guys did a good job putting up with me on this one. Um, but I I did push you a little bit in one direction, right? I said, hey, I want to see outcome studies, and I asked you to look at the Cochrane database. I think the two of you had not become familiar with that yet, or maybe had heard about it, but hadn't had anybody send you
1: there. Right.
0: And I said, I want to know if our recreational therapist doing all these great things we're talking about truly makes a difference. And so you guys looked up some articles to see what, what is the difference.
2: Yeah, we did. We actually. Uh examined four different areas, uh, psychodrama, video games, exercise, and then also psychosocial rehab. So the first thing that we looked at was uh, psychodrama. And Dr. Randy, you had said that you had a previous uh, rec therapist here that- Wonderful. yeah, Wonderful rec therapist. Wanted to employ that. And so that was really interesting to me when you told us, all, okay, where is that evidence behind that? And is there some, and how is that uh, useful in recreational therapists, in the recreational therapy? And uh, we went to the Cochrane Reviews. There were five studies that they really looked at, but two had the best uh, data to be utilized. And uh, one was by Q, and this was done in 2000. Uh, They said that in adjunction to antipsychotic medication and inpatient care has a beneficial effect on improving negative symptoms of schizophrenia, but not necessarily positive ones. But as we, as we discussed um, when we had a schizophrenia lecture, there is sometimes that gap uh, that we need to, to fill that void with. and, and or psych- that the patients need to fill that void right. with. yeah. Cor- correct. And this, I think, really tied in well with that. When, with that psychodrama and having these patients take parts in different plays and being able to act in that way. It helped with those negative symptoms with that not being able to really or have any motivation in doing things, and we talked about Mr. Z as well, they get that. They, they fill that void a little bit more and that improves that quality of life. So there is some data there which is really fascinating and interesting to use.
0: I think uh Jackson was the therapist that I mentioned in that. Um, fascinating uh, guy that I've, I've started to think maybe I should read a little bit more about his thoughts in the past. One uh, other part of that that I think is very fascinating, here's the shelf exam question that might show up. Uh, what is more debilitating, positive symptoms or negative symptoms? I'm not 100% sure, to be honest with you. Negative symptoms, hmm. right? So prognosis is determined more by negative symptoms than positive symptoms. So even even though we quite often think about treatment of positive symptoms, again, illness mindset rather than recovery mindset. Um, those, those positive symptoms may not be as debilitating for independent living, uh, community transition, reintegration, those kinds of things. And so um, the negative symptoms, having psychodrama and having some evidence that this helps with negative symptoms, very meaningful. Anecdotally, again, now this is stepping outside of the uh, evidence, perhaps the most appreciated group by patients that I've ever seen run was the psychotrauma group. I, I've been astounded by that because that's not where I would be comfortable, right? I, 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 I don't understand it, right? It's (laughs) not, it doesn't fit me, and yet our patients with schizophrenia over and over told us how much they enjoyed the psychotrauma groups.
1: That's so interesting.
0: I, I thought she was making it up when she told me about it, it's like, "Mm, what? And she said, oh yeah, lots of evidence for this, I was like, uh... Why well, haven't I never heard of it before then? So it's very cool to see that there is some evidence for the benefit more towards negative symptoms. Correct. In conjunction with other, other treatments in the hospital. Correct. Cool. Uh, video games. I, I want this. I don't know if any of you guys know Miles. You guys are all nodding, yes. yes. Everybody yes. knows Miles. Miles pops up occasionally yes. in, the, in our air discussions. Miles really, really, really wanted yoga to be a treatment for depression. The evidence isn't quite there yet. I think that was the podcast we did. It was. It was. Yes, it was. <laughs> uh, I want video games to be a treatment for things. Tell me, uh, are my wishes going to be met? Well,
1: you're going to have to hold on. I'll tell you at the end. <laughs> I, I want video games to treat everything. Um, so there were seven trials done uh, between 2009 and t- uh, 2018 uh, uh, together they had about 468 participants um, each one was 32 to 121 participants uh, size and the trials were 6 to 12 weeks depending on which trial it was so uh, I think they were different enough to where you can't really stack it up to a trial of, of about 500 you got to look at it individually uh, so looking at individually the The data isn't very strong just because the number is so low Uh, what they did in the different trials is they looked at uh, the regular treatments and then they would add uh, video games to to the treatment and they looked at different things like comparing it to uh, cognitive remediation which looks at uh, improving your cognitive functioning remembering things um, to do tasks to think through things Um, Sort of like
0: self-efficacy in a lot of ways where you drill uh, a task and then uh, develop mastery of that task, I think.
1: Yeah. So what they found, uh, there's a difference between exercise gaming and um, handheld gaming. So obviously in exercise gaming, you are doing movements along with the video game.
0: So this would be uh, Danny's favorite uh, video game, which is Dance Dance Revolution. It is. (laughs) there
1: you go yeah something like that so close i I tried
0: once when i tripped over the uh, Uh, so so first
1: looking at the non-exercise video games uh general functioning social functioning mental state and quality of life were found to have no difference in outcome between uh cognitive remediation and those static video games which uh can be a plus because if you can do the same effect with video games, uh, you can cut some costs because video games are not expensive. And I think it takes uh, less planning and uh, can have some area to take less personnel as well if you are low on, on personnel to help in, the, in those manners.
0: I, I would add one other thing. If I said to you, hey, um, listen, Logan, I really want you to go to a group. You're gonna sit and uh, it, it's, it's like you know, cognitive remediation. Or I said to you hey uh, we're gonna play some video games Is there one of those you might choose over the other
1: Yeah I probably I probably give video games a try I think okay. I think that gives you a little bit of dopamine the f- lights and the buttons
0: Oh yeah and the, and the achievements with the pat on your head afterwards right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah very cool uh, so I, I I know we're talking about these two things being equivalent I know that's where you're headed. The caveat I would add is that there are lots and lots of studies about cognitive remediation. There are a few studies with video games, um, and so I don't know that we would be ready to throw out COG-REM yet at the expense of video games. Is that where you're headed?
1: Correct. Uh, <sighs> darn the <it, darn. laughs> time. Cognitive function is still improved more with cognitive remediation, which to me is like the biggest part of it, so <laughs> it's, it's kind of a deal breaker. Uh, But it does open a window to say, hey, maybe this is something we can look more at.
0: It's an alternative treatment that if you can't get somebody to engage in cognitive remediation, there might be
1: an option then. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And then looking at the the exercise games, uh, there was just one trial. But here it was found that um, along with the static games, all those other fields were found to be about the same. But uh, cognitive function was also at the same level, and exercise was increased. So you got some added benefit with the exercise gaming.
0: So Dance Dance Revolution, check. Check Mario Kart, perhaps not.
1: (laughs) Probably not.
0: DDR for the win. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Was this a, this was a uh, Cochrane Review as well, right? This was Cochrane Review. Okay, so. um, these are the highest quality trials that they synthesized the data from and commented on the, on the outcomes, right, much like Easton did with the last one. Uh, exercise and schizophrenia. This is something that I think the state hospital did a, a great job adopting here in Utah, incorporating exercise in the treatment. Um, I think there were two benefits that were considered when we did this. The first was that there might be uh, benefits to weight um, antipsychotic medications. If you've listened to some of the previous lectures, you're aware that they can cause problems with weight gain. Um, and then the second benefit was?
2: Uh, anxiety and depression can definitely go up, but with schizophrenia specifically, uh, we can see some negative symptoms improve as well. Uh, so we went and examined a few different Cochrane reviews, and this uh, review focused on three different randomized controlled trials. And uh, the first one showed significant decreases in anxiety and depression. And then the second one uh, showed the significantly better uh, negative scores on that PAN scale, which is the positive and negative symptom scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that was very impressive. And that, that one also, I don't have it listed here, but it did talk about the health benefits as far as with weight. Uh, there was not a significant weight decrease with this trial, but there was a significant change in body fat percentage. That is something that they did measure, and that was interesting. very interesting to me as well. And then this last one, which we talked about Miles, I don't know Miles personally, but that yoga, he wanted it to be that treatment for depression. There's potential hope that it could actually help with uh, schizophrenia. So they compared this yoga trial versus this exercise trial for these patients. and. Both were significantly better on the pan scale. However, the yoga one was significantly better than the exercise alone, which I thought was very interesting with that.
0: Now I've mentioned so many wonderful recreational therapists I've had here in the past. Most of our recreational therapists, including our current uh, rec therapist Liliana, have yoga as part of their uh, treatment uh, groups or, or recreational therapeutic activities. So I, I think you even participated in some of those uh, during your previous day here, and maybe even this this time here. The only time we had
3: it, my shirt was too tight to to give it a try. But I have before. <laughs> I you you flexed and yeah. tore the shirt. I think. Yeah, uh, right. just ripped you some buttons. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, so Miles is. Whoa, I was right. Miles was right. I was more right on that. Correct. Okay. I just wanted <laughs> yeah. to get my MegaMind quote in today. I just <laughs> needed that. You're correct, Andy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> so, so, some benefit um, in schizophrenia, it appears, again, more with negative symptoms than with positive symptoms, and that seems to be a theme that we're seeing fairly consistently with the role of recreational therapy in treatment of schizophrenia.
2: That's correct, for sure. We, we also looked at exercise and depression, and this has been a little bit uh, more hashed out. There's quite a few more studies towards this, and, and it does increase it. However, it is not without risk, just like with anything with exercise. There are musculoskeletal risks of injury. However, there, there is a pretty good strong data out there that it can help with de- uh, depressive symptoms and anxiety as well.
0: 39 studies on this. I wish we could get 39 studies in schizophrenia and exercise, or schizophrenia and yoga. That'd be pretty cool. I do think when I looked at the early data on exercise, one of the questions they had was, uh, and this would have been nearly 20 years ago that I started looking at some of these studies, the question was, is it a group effect where people getting together? Uh, improves the outcome or is this that people are exercising improves the outcome? I think there were two studies that I looked at initially, one where people went out and exercised alone and one where everybody went to the gym. The authors of the gym study said what was interesting, if I remember correctly, was that at the end of the study everybody agreed to keep coming back as a group and exercising and so we think there might be a social factor at play. Um, Regardless of that, it's something that seems like one of the One of the things that I'm just learning about and hopefully we'll know about more later, there's a group out of Temple University that uh, something called the ICANN program that Dr. Adams talked to me about where they're helping patients make the transition into community leisure activities through uh, education, leisure education, right? And and building that self-efficacy to keep the the activities that happen in the hospital happening in the community. And I I have a, a suspicion that adding meaning to those activities with social interactions, as we talked about before, kind of the bloomer model, might be pretty valuable. And I'm I'm interested to learn more about ICANN. I tried to Google it, but didn't find much yet. Uh, Psychosocial rehab. Now this is uh, the last, I think this is the last area that we're going to try and tackle. And I want to set uh, the stage for this just a little bit. So studies starting more than 20 years ago, so I think we looked at the is it Volker article? Rotor, Rotor article in 98, right? So uh, the Rotor article in 98 that we looked at, teaching patients recreational, residential, and vocational skills, talked about integrated psychotherapy for schizophrenia. And this this has, in my mind, evolved to the concept of uh, psychosocial rehabilitation for schizophrenia. Now interestingly enough, I went through residency and I don't think I was tracking that this was a thing. I learned about it uh, maybe a decade ago when we started reviewing the PORT uh, recommendations which are, what was the acronym stand for? Outcome Research something or another, uh, Psychosis Outcome Research or Psychosis. Boy, we're looking it up as quickly as we can. Anyway, uh, port criteria were treatment criteria for treatment of schizophrenia. I think they came out of uh, England at the time, if I remember correctly, um, and it included this broad psychosocial rehabilitation, and it that itself, even more than twenty years ago. Again, I'm just learning about this eight to ten years ago. Included things like family therapy, and I think that's evolved into family psychoeducation groups, cognitive remediation social skills training, voc rehab, CBT, and social skills training, among a few other things. And I think we saw those kinds of things pop up over and over and over. And in many of the articles that we read, there seems to be the role of uh, recreational therapy in this psychosocial rehab. It was a little bit murky what exactly the role was. Did that ever get more clear based on your reading?
1: Uh, I'm not sure that I have a good answer for that.
0: (laughs) I don't think I do either. Um, Do you guys want to pick it up from there, the discussion about psychosocial rehab, even if we don't have a clear answer what it means?
1: Uh, Yeah, so uh, you were talking about how uh, there wasn't a clear um, difference in your mind as to whether the exercise at the gym was good because of the exercise or because of the social aspect. And uh, the study that I went and uh, I wrote details about uh, has a part that talks to that. Uh, So I looked at a study that was looking at antipsychotic medications uh, compared to uh, antipsychotic medications plus psychosocial rehab. And it looked at about 1,500 subjects and uh, about 1,300 completed the, the assessment. And what they did is they looked at um, their progress, looking at the ITAC, which is the uh, Insight and Treatment Attitudes Questionnaire, the PANS, which is Positive and Negative Syndrome Scale, the Global Assessment Scale, and the Activities of Daily Living Scale. So these are uh, different scales that look at the symptoms, whether negative or positive, and see how they're functioning uh, as a person in their lives and in society. Uh, so what they did is they had half, about half the the participants would, uh, be on their antipsychotic medications plus their psychosocial, um, therapy, which would be, um, basically regular, uh, therapeutic treatments just in a group setting is what I I saw. I
0: I think it probably included all those things I just listed, family family psychoeducation, cognitive remediation, social skills training, individual psychotherapy, which may include CBT, um, and so forth, right? So so it included this whole wraparound services.
1: Yeah. And then the other half would uh, be doing a lot of those same therapies, but more on an individual side.
0: So without the groups.
1: Yes. Uh, so... Both groups uh, improved the insight and treatment attitudes questionnaire and the positive and negative symptom scale. The um, scores were better for the antipsychotic medication and psychoso- psychosocial therapy for uh, the ITAC, the global assessment scale, and the activities of daily living scale. Uh, so that is good. And going into the exercise and with the group and was it the group or was it the exercise? It looked like the people that were in the combined, um, treatment went to about 42, um, uh, therapies. The people that were in the only, the antipsychotic with their individual treatment went to an average of 18 therapies.
0: So twice as engaged, and the same number of therapies were available. It's just that patients chose to be more involved. Correct. Okay. Uh, Did they? So, so the recreational therapy part was a group exercise, uh, an RT group that was uh, exercise based. Was the modal the exercise the recreational activity that was therapeutic was exercise based? Am I saying that the right way?
1: I think so. Okay.
0: <laughs> All right, so I, I know that I also looked at uh, some other items with regards to psychosocial rehabilitation and schizophrenia and the role of, of uh, recreational therapy, and my, my feeling was that some of the data is still evolving, that, that as the, uh, the recovery model becomes more widespread in the United States and perhaps is being supplanted by the Flourish model, um, the role of returning to the community is becoming even more important, right? So the example of Mr. Z, this was a person where they de- designed a study of one person to try and say, can we make a change in the way we do things and and help this person who's lived for 10 years in the state hospital move to the community. I think that was the whole goal of, of uh of the article. They talked about length of stay in Japan being 282 days for patients with severe mental illness. And, and this this recovery model and having people live their life and not be uh, d- defined by the illness but to move into the community and live a, a life that is autonomously chosen and meaningful. right? Um, I think that those barriers that I talked about before uh, from one of the articles Let me see if I can find it. Uh, Independent and social living, housing and leisure started to become barriers to care. And I think in terms of that independent and social living and leisure, both of those are well addressed by by recreational therapies' goals and aims. And what I'm hoping to see at some point, and I think there's maybe preliminary data starting to build according to what I think I understood from Dr. Adams, is that we'll start seeing how uh, how recreational therapy has a meaningful and direct impact on the recovery of our patients with schizophrenia, and I think it will have something to do with transition to the community. So I'm pretty hopeful about that. I don't know that I have anything else on my mind about this topic, what about you guys?
2: Well, I guess for me, like my last comment with it is it's just such an integral role in in the treatment of our patients with these different uh, things that are affecting their lives, whether that be schizophrenia, depression. It is so important to make sure that it is given its it space. And for me, I had no knowledge really about this before coming here on this rotation, but it, it's been a great eye-opener to even view, okay, is this being done with that purposeful goal of and of helping this patient achieve not only uh that therapy through recreation or that leisure but in helping them like you said create those social ties that we've seen with those case studies that we've seen with a lot of these other things and okay making a life kind of worth living and and i think that recreational therapy plays a really integral role with that
0: so two, I have two comments about that. And by the way, this looks like it's going to be what's your last thought kind of thing. I right. like that a lot. Uh, two comments. One is that you are absolutely right. Recreational therapists are an integral part of the team for me. And we have sort of a... a a behavioral system of sorts for the entire unit which is a level system if you're able to go to a certain number of groups and do a certain number of things you're probably well enough to not just be stuck in the on the unit but maybe be able to go into the building to have mills or even go on grounds and potentially even go on grounds independently prior to being discharged. Generally speaking those changes between in-building and on grounds are we don't like to make those as a team without our recreational therapists giving us a thumbs up or thumbs down saying, hey, I have this patient in the groups. So I don't think they can, at this point, function well on an on-grounds level. And that, because, as, as you mentioned before, they see our patients in ways that are more clear than we do. They sometimes are able to say, you guys are waiting too long to move this patient forward. They're doing well. Or, hold on, guys. When we're in rec therapy activities, we, we really see our patients better than you do. And they're right; they don't say it that way, but they're right, um, and they, they just give us the best information, right? They, they are integral members of the team. So, like very much what you're saying. Now, the question that comes to my mind is: you're going into family practice. It's easy to refer somebody to the dietitian. How do you refer somebody to a recreational therapist in uh, in family practice? Any ideas?
2: You know, I I don't know that yet. Yeah,
0: I don't either. If you figure it out, will you email me? For sure. Text me. I will. Send a carrier pigeon?
2: One, one of the above or all three. <laughs> uh, I
1: think it depends on re- referring to a therapist, and then it's kind of in that therapist domain at that point. Um,
0: I wonder if there's reimbursement, though, for that, and if there are yeah. recreational therapists that are you can refer out to or if there are uh, recreational therapy groups that you can refer to. I know that uh, for things like DBT, there's kind of some setup sort of, Groups that you could refer to where the billing works and all those things fall into place, but I, I don't know that I've ever heard of referring to a recreational therapist. Well, I've, I've never seen it, but
1: yeah, I think it's definitely something to look into as a family physician.
0: I think that there are uh, recreational therapists usually associated with institutions, right? So uh, rehab facilities for substance misuse. I think we see the, the recreational therapist there. Troubled youth, uh, facilities for youth with uh, mental illness, quite often we'll see uh, therapists there. But outside of that, I just, I don't think that they're available, but it makes me wonder if there's a role where they do community integration, working side-by-side side with occupational therapists, and somehow that comes into play. Maybe physical rehab, PM&R facilities might have recreational therapists, but I just don't know the answer to these things something to look up something to learn
1: yeah so that kind of ties into what what I was thinking Um, uh, as a a family physician uh, going through medical school RT might be mentioned at some point maybe but it's not something that's gone out of its way to be taught at a a medical school and I think uh, in many mental health patients it's uh, just as valuable or more valuable in some situations as a medication that you could prescribe. So I think it's something that should be on the radar of, of a, as, a, as a family physician and that you should be open to it and researching it yourself. And uh, not all the research is there, but I think there are definitely um, things that have been shown that give it uh, power.
0: I like the premises and the I, I mean—I think there's some data out there on positive psychology, right? I think this podcast could have taken a very different turn and perhaps we'll have a different podcast in the future that speaks to the data around positive psychology and recovery-oriented treatment, right? I think a lot of those things are part of where we're going to be better healthcare providers and, and I, I think while you're talking about the data is not all the way there. I think the principles look sound and I'm hoping to see the data grow from that. And I wouldn't mind seeing recreational therapists have a greater role in treatment of depression in the community. I think that would be a pretty cool idea. My final thoughts
3: are very much in line with some of the final thoughts being shared. I really like the thought of and practice of recreational therapy. It intuitively makes sense what they do in combining kind of the mind, body, spirit elements of wellness with my science brain kind of data-backed and doing research to see what the most effective ways in that kind of directed activities versus maybe just feeling good. It, It combines a couple things. And I'm really excited to see how it continues to evolve over the next 20 years and maybe in... 10 years as a family physician I will be referring someone to recreational therapist it's uh, instead of uh, support groups it'll be support bowling groups or whatever <laughs> that whatever specific uh, they're doing for
1: dance dance revolution dance
3: dance revolution groups it's I think it'll be DDR seven by then. <laughs> is there a dance dance revolution too? I, I
0: probably. <laughs> if
3: I was a true fan, I would know. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see how it continues to grow, and then, like Dr. Roundy mentioned, see what reimbursement changes as the data grows, and
0: see what happens. Yeah, I think my final take home is I, I simply can't express my appreciation for the recreational therapists that have worked uh, with me over the last few years, or that I've had the privilege to work with, might be even more accurately said. They are fearless and amazing in so many ways. They take uh, very difficult to treat patients into settings that are, are unbelievable to me. Unbelievable to me. They're, 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 the, these recreational therapists that I've had the privilege of working with, I, I stand in awe of all of them. I mean, they're just so spectacular, the people are great. And as I've tried to understand over the years, not just how great the people are that become recreational therapists, but the model, and I admittedly have struggled with that, um, I, it's become clear to me that the people that go into recreational therapy become licensed in the state of Utah, go through the, the high-quality programs that are available within the state and nearby states. These are true therapists, and, and as I've grown to understand their role, I've grown to understand that even more. I mean, I'm just very grateful that we've never given up our recreational therapists. I I just can't express that enough. Uh, Gentlemen, this was a treat to do with you. I think it opened up a couple of other podcasts that I I hope will be done in the future, revolving around the recovery model and perhaps positive psychology. We'll see if somebody picks that up. On that note, team Team out. out.